0: It's that time, the Betting Predators podcast, where our main objective is hunting down the best bets for you. I'm your host, Sleepy Jake. You guys can find me on Twitter at Sleepy underscore pregame. Joined here by the NBA expert, NBA guru. Got Jay Smoove in the house. You guys can find him on Twitter as well at Smoove underscore 702. And you can find us both on the best sports betting information site on the web, pregame.com. All right, Smoove, here we go. NBA Monday. You and I, we're going to go ahead, we're going to talk, do a little recap here with the Nets and the Bucks game and the Suns and the Nuggets. And then we'll go ahead, we'll preview the Jazz and the Clippers game. That one will be Monday night, 10 p.m. Eastern start time. Uh, first thing I want to start out with here Smooth, I want to start out with, let me go ahead and talk about Chris Paul and the Suns and what they did to the Denver Nuggets. They dismantled them in four games, four-game sweep. Uh, that series really wasn't all that close. Phoenix goes out to get a 125-118 win on the road to go ahead and close out that series. But really what opened my eyes was the play of Chris Paul in game four. He goes out there, has an absolutely amazing game. I couldn't tell you the last time I saw Chris Paul play that well. Goes out there, has 37 points, chipped in on offense, chipped in on defense, rebounds, assists, you name it. I don't remember the last time he played that well because it felt like it was that far Out of my memory, like, I just don't remember him playing that well. Here's my thinking. If the Suns want to win a title, they need to get that type of play from Chris Paul. I don't feel like he can go out there and do the eight with the 12 assists and three rebounds. Like, they need to have another elite score. You can't just rely on Devin Booker. And if Chris Paul can go out there and play very close to that level, I feel like they can go in and compete for a title. But let's just dial it back a little bit. What did you see from Chris Paul tonight that you really liked? And do you think that he can continue this type of play, you know, going into the next series, whether it be against, you know, the Clippers or the Jazz?
1: Normally, when I'm watching the game, um, I typically, you know, shoot out a couple of tweets here and there, you know, referencing the game you know, most of the time. But, you know, watching that Suns and Nuggets game, I didn't really tweet until after the game was over. Um, just because I was so focused and 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 zoomed in and tuned in to one, you know, it was, a, it was a great game. You know, Nuggets gave a, a great effort to try to avoid being swept, but just the type of you know masterpiece of a game that Chris Paul put together, especially at the point guard spot. You know, myself, you know, playing this game, you know, a large portion of my life, and being a former point guard, um, there were just things that I saw, uh, just kind of instinctly that you know, what he was doing in that game, you know, I didn't really see him, you know, make, you know, the wrong play, you know, too many times. You know, he had, a, you know, two turnovers, I think, but it was just a miscommunication between, you know, where, you know, he expected a teammate to be when um, the ball went out of bounds. But just making play after play, read after read, you know, knowing when to shoot the ball, knowing when to attack, you knowing when to push the pace, knowing when to slow it down, knowing, you know, who to get the ball to, when to get them the ball, uh when to keep feeding them. You know, he's just, you know, one of the smartest, if not the smartest, players in the league. Uh, Charles Barkley referenced him as one of the best leaders in the league. You know, and tonight, you know, he had a big stat night as well. I think he finished with 37 points. But with Chris Paul it's not always about stats with him to to measure his impact. And I think that's, you know, one of the biggest reasons why, you know, he didn't finish as high as he did. You know, on the MVP list, but you know, when you're talking about impact and value, um, you know, this year and you know throughout his career, I don't really think that there's too many, too many more people, you know, at that position to where you know you could rank ahead of them when it comes to to value and impact, and not as much of an impact, you know, stat wise in that first round against the Lakers, maybe large, more so to do with you know being hurt for a good portion of it dealing with his shoulder. But, you know, he looked really healthy in this matchup pretty much from game one. And then also you have to, you know, consider, um, you know, the point guard matchup, you know, Jamal Murray being out and going up against, you know, uh, Compazzo, who's, you know, pretty much, you know, out there on on energy and stuff like that. But he just couldn't measure up. And Chris Paul, you know, took advantage of that matchup and that backcourt, you know, him and Devin Booker pretty much all series and Chris Paul realized he had a chance to knock the nuggets out uh with a sweep and get some more rest and you know get more healthier you know for the western conference finals you know he took care of business and he put you know one of the best games I've seen in a while you know from a point guard won a little bit of money had a player prop on him and ended up taking the the suns on a late play so uh that isn't
0: too bad either No, I actually jumped on your player prop that you ended up uh, sending in today. So that that was really good. So thanks for that one. Do you think that Chris Paul might have actually went into this game and said, you know what? These dudes ain't beating us. I'm going to go out there. I'm just going to play my game today. And yeah, I'm going up against the, you know, league MVP. But I don't feel like I got just due, you know, for what I've done, you know, throughout my entire career. And you could go through and you could look at all the stats for Chris Paul. And what he's done for teams, and Smooth and I, we actually covered that on one of our podcasts. And he's talked about, you know, what he did in Houston, what he did in OKC, and what he's done now, you know, for this Suns team, you know, and on how, you know, where he ended up going into these teams, and these teams weren't very good, and and he took them from, you know, maybe being a bottom feeder team or, or a slight contender to, you know, being a playoff team, and what he actually does, and and what he what his value is. I felt like maybe he felt maybe a little bit disrespected and, and he was going into this game being like, you know what? We got nothing to lose. Even if we lose this game, we're going back home. We're beating this team. And he just wanted to go out there and play his game today. And you don't see Chris Paul take a lot of early shots in the game, but he did today. But, Smooth, you and I were talking, and you said that there was a reason why, you know, he was able to go ahead and get to 37 points and why he just kept shooting when well, you actually pointed out you know, the reason why he was able to go ahead and just keep scoring and scoring and scoring. What was the particular situation that happened in that Denver game, you know, that allowed Chris Paul to go ahead and have that type of uh, performance?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Sleepy, because this was, you know, the biggest reason why he stayed as effective as he did throughout the game. But he mentioned in his post game, many, you know, on-court press conference that a couple years ago, uh, a few years ago when he was back with the the Clippers that, you know, defenses started to go to like a drop formation, you know, with the big man that's, you know, playing the pick and roll and they would be giving up, you know, pretty much that mid-range area, you know, that mid-range shot because a lot of analytically driven guys, you know, deem that shot as, you know, one of the worst shots in the league now. That's why you see a lot of teams, you know, move to taking a lot of three-point shots or, you know, trying to get dunks and layups at the rim. And, just pretty much ignoring the mid-range, you know. But, you know, for a guy like Chris Paul, who has a great feel for the game and has always been, you know, you know, did a lot of his work, a lot of his damage in that mid-range area, you know, he just came out and said that he's just going to perfect that shot and perfect that area of the court. And, you know, like tonight, you know, any time that it was either Coley Jokic, you know, that was, you know, that drop man dropping back in the paint, giving up that shot, or if it was Michael Porter Jr. that they was, you know, trying to single out to try to, you know, force a switch, uh, but Michael Porter Jr. was, you know, fighting like hell to get over that ball screen, not to switch. Well, then that just leaves a lot of room for somebody like Chris Paul and even Devin Booker to do their damage in that mid-range area. And you just saw, you know, play after play. I Think he might have went ten or eleven straight shots from that mid-range area, just knocking them down one after the other until he finally missed one. But You know, it just looked like he was out there, you know, at a summer workout practice, you know, taking those shots because there was no pressure on him. And, you know, that's, you know, the strongest part of his game. You know, that's the shot that he was, you know, hunting for and looking for. If the possession came to him taking the shot and, you know, anytime Denver would, you know, try to make a run or or get back into the game, he uh, went to that shot and went to that play. And, you know, he ended up with, you know, 37 points. Like you said, that's the most he scored probably in a while. Um, And he was, you know, that was the biggest reason why he was so impactful
0: on the game tonight. So why don't we talk a little bit about Chris Paul and talk about this team potentially moving forward. As I mentioned, they're going to have to play either the Clippers or the Jazz. But if Chris Paul could continue to play, and I'm not saying he has to go out there and have 37 points move every night. Like that doesn't have to happen. That's not going to happen. We know that that, that's not going to happen. But let's just say he can go ahead and, and, and do what he did tonight scoring. Does this team make it to the finals? You know, could they potentially win a title, you know, with this one two combo of Booker Paul, you know, getting what they need and 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 being able to figure out, you know, offensively, you know, how they can expose teams and get Chris Paul into that particular situation as much as possible and then really just rely on their defense because their defense has been something that's just Uh, I think it's really underrated and it just hasn't been talked about enough on on why this team is actually here right now. So with that said, if Chris Paul can go ahead and continue the, you know, this type of scoring, is that what it's going to take for, you know, Phoenix to go ahead and get, get themselves to the final?
1: Um, I think they have a great, uh, a great shot too. I think it also has to do a little bit on, you know, matchups or who they're going to see in the Western conference finals. Um, You know, if it happens to be the Clippers, you know, they, since they entered uh, Batum into the starting lineup, you know they do have you know the ability to switch one through five, and then they do have you know two guys on the on the perimeter and Kawhi Leonard and, and and Paul George that could kind of you know uh, you know bother you know Chris Paul if he gets to that area of the court, so it could be a little bit challenging you know there for him to be as effective you know in uh, as he was in this series if they happen to meet up against the Clippers. But maybe against a team like Utah, um, that they depend a lot on Rudy Gobert, like anchoring the paint, um, anchoring the, the middle of that defense. I think he would play a, a lot of the similar, you know, drop style of coverage that, uh, you know, Nikola Jokic, you know, was playing, you know, this series against them. And, you know, they could also, you know, hunt out somebody like a, like a Bogdanovich or even a Jordan Clarkson that's, you know, not as good, you know, defensively. Um, so I think that if they were to match up against maybe a, a Utah, that you can kind of you know see Chris Paul and even Devin Booker having that same type of impact and same type of value, you know getting those shots uh, that they got in this series. You know if they happen to get happen to meet up against Utah in the Western Conference Finals, so I think it has to do a little bit a combination of a, a few different things, but. You know Phoenix are playing in a really great rhythm. You know, like you mentioned, they have the best defense. You know, in the playoffs, you know they're one of the better, you know, half court offenses in the league. You know, we talk we're talking a lot about Chris Paul right now, but you know Devin Booker, you know his first time in the playoffs, he's also putting on a big show. You know, his second game closing now he went for thirty four. His first game, you know, back against the Lakers, he went for forty seven. And then you got guys like Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnson and. Jay Crowder all knocking down shots and, you know, DeAndre Aiden, he's taking advantage of his opportunities too. So this team just playing really well at, you know, really well at the right time Um, could be a little bit, you know, uh, rusty, you know, for at least for the the first game of the Western Conference finals, because they're going to have a lot of time, you know, uh, to to rest right now with their series being wrapped up and the Clippers uh, jazz series, you know, more than likely going six, maybe seven games. So, but yeah, they're you know they're they're playing really well right now, so I give them a shot too.
0: Yeah, I think Phoenix probably would rather see they'd rather see the Jazz. I feel like the the Clipper the Clippers matchup would be more of a chess matchup where you know you're really going to have to make a lot of a lot of adjustments in that particular series. Where you know the Jazz, if they're just counting on shooters to go ahead and shoot themselves to a title, um, they're just going to have to be red hot for an entire series, and I just don't think that that'll happen against the Suns you know, with that defense and the leadership of Chris Paul. Uh, pretty good talk on that one. Great game from Chris Paul tonight. As I mentioned, Phoenix, they close out that series. Uh, series sweep for nothing. Let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the Nets and the Bucks. Big news coming out of that game today. Uh, Kyrie Irving sprains ankle. He's going to be out. I'm going to say smooth that he probably doesn't return for this particular series. And I, I, I right now, I, I, I don't know how you can like the Nets unless James Harden finds himself on the floor and healthy and able to go ahead and do things that James Harden normally does right now with his hamstring. I mean, he's missed what now four games and they're saying it's kind of up in the air, you know, if he's going to come in and play game five or game six. And as of right now, it's like, you know, the reports that are coming out, you know, he's doing on court drills, this, that, and the other, obviously, you know, they're, they're taking him with, uh, you know, caution, but, they don't have time. I mean they they have they have to win games right now. And my gut feeling, I don't know if you agree with me on this one, is that if Brooklyn feels that they need to win this next game in order to get through this series, they're going to go ahead and they're going to put Harden out there. But if they feel confident that with one more day rest or two more days rest, that if you do insert Harden into this lineup, that they feel that they can win game 6 in you know, in Milwaukee and then win game 7, you know, back in Brooklyn, then there probably isn't a chance that we see Harden because they want to go ahead and get him, you know, as healthy as they possibly can. Now they got to win too, you know, in order to move on. But right now I think the Bucks are feeling it. Um, you know, and this is a, this is a series that I think you originally, you liked Milwaukee in this matchup, but now with Kyrie, you know, going down, it, it makes it a whole hell of a lot easier for Milwaukee. And right now, you know, they're, they're definitely smelling blood in the water. The only way you can get, Milwaukee I think out of you know the next game you you have to you have to insert Harden in there you have to get in their heads mentally being like okay you know we thought we had a shot maybe he won't play here he is all right cool and maybe that helps Brooklyn but my gut feeling is that if Harden doesn't play they lose this next game and I'll be looking more than likely probably to go ahead and bet Milwaukee and I felt like today I don't know what you felt about the line today smooth the fact that the Bucks were actually underdogs at home, it was just baffling to me. I didn't care that Kyrie was out there, and I didn't care that Durant was out there. I just feel like right now, Milwaukee, for however you want to say it, that they're making the necessary type of adjustments where it didn't look like they were doing that in Game 1 and Game 2. But right now, it feels like the Bucks have it going in the complete right direction, and Brooklyn... They're not going in the right direction, and they weren't going in the right direction. I felt with Kyrie on the floor, but now he's off, and it's like, where are you at now? They could get beat up at home in this next game, so I won't be back in Brooklyn. That's for damn sure. And I don't think even if Harden comes, that I would even back them anyway. I would just be confident that they at least got a shot but going in the next game. I'll probably end up looking more, you know, at, at taking Milwaukee. Um, more than likely, they'll probably wouldn't surprise me if they're getting points. And the Harden insertion into that lineup might actually make the line even more valuable um, for the Bucs because I think they value Harden uh, when it comes to the betting line a little bit more valuable than Kyrie. So I don't know how you feel about Brooklyn right now, but why don't you talk about what you saw just with Kyrie uh, with his ankle injury. Did you actually see it happen? Did you you see how he walked off? Because the only thing I saw was a quick little replay. And then why don't you talk about what – you know, what it means to Brooklyn to to lose Kyrie. Because I didn't get to see the end of the game either. Uh, I noticed it ended up 107-96 in that game. But I didn't see how Brooklyn looked, you know, throughout the third and fourth quarter without Kyrie on the floor.
1: Um, Yeah, I watched the game and I saw the uh, injury happen. I really didn't know that he had sprained his ankle that bad because it looked like, you know, just watching the game live, it kind of looked like him and Giannis bumped knees. Um, But once they, you know went back and showed the replay and it, it was really his ankle and, you know, how bad it looked. Um, you know, his ankle was, you know, pretty much looked like it was on the ground. You know, that's like the worst way you could sprain your ankle. And I've done that, you know, once or twice. And it, it was really painful and, and uh, about a month and a half type of recovery, you know, but, you know, he's approached obviously going to get, you know, the, you know, the world best, you know, treatment and all that type of stuff. But like you said, it's just hard for me to see him being back, you know, anytime soon in these series, you know, with these games, you know, coming, you know, 48 hours in between each other. You know, Milwaukee won tonight and they tied the series up, you know, but it just seemed like they gained so much more, especially when we're talking about momentum, you know, in the series, you know, going back to Brooklyn. Unfortunately, you know, Kyrie more than likely, you know, it will be out for the next game and Harden. You know I think um I'd be surprised if he's if he's out there just just listening to Steve Nash talk you know uh post game about you know harden um saying that you know with Kyrie being getting hurt, this isn't like a you know a a situation to try to rush back harden if he's not healthy enough to be out there you know he did speak about harden you know pre game you know that he did some light some light work on the court you know but to kind of be, you know, ramped up and revved up to the level of play you need to be at to come in and contribute in the middle of a series like this. Um, I think it'll be pretty difficult for Harden to come out there and to play with a peace of mind and not really worry too much about his hamstring. You know, it's something that he's dealt with over the last month or so. And, you know, when he injured it, you know, game one in those first 45 seconds, you know, when he came down, he just kind of already knew that it was pretty bad and just walked off the court, you know, back to the locker room. But, you know, if you're somebody that liked, you know, Milwaukee, you know, like I did before this series, you have to think that they're in a, a really good spot to get the next two games, especially the one in uh, in Brooklyn. You know, you would have to think they have to come out with a sense of urgency knowing, you know, how banged up the Nets are now. And, you know, just watching the Nets offense, you know, after, you know, the Kyrie injury, It was just pretty much, uh, you know, Kevin Durant out there. You know, they they've had great role players, but those role players have been able to shine when at least, you know, two of those three, you know, big three have been out there. But now um, more than likely with, you know, two of the three big three um, more than likely going to be out or if they're going to be, you know, on the floor, they're going to be hampered by injury. You're going to be asking, you know, some role players to step out and play out of you know, play out of their comfort zone, you know, something they haven't really done or been able, you know, been asked to do, you know, pretty much all season. And, you know, they didn't really have a playmaker at the point guard position like you had, you know, if you have Kyrie out there, if you have Harden out there, you're kind of asking KD to do something that he he can do, but it's not really uh, what you want KD to be focusing on the most. You know, you want KD to be scoring and, you know, at efficient level and make plays, you know, every now and then, you know, when it's, you know, the defense is rotating to him, you know, heavily like overplaying him. Um, But, you know, just watching him when he was out there, uh, you got a, you know, a pit bull like PJ Tucker harassing them all game. And they didn't really, you know, call as many fouls on Tucker as they did, you know, uh, this game, as they did in in, in game three. Um, So it makes it a little bit tougher on KD to, to do what, you know, what you need him to do. So, um, I think you'll you'll need you know some you know some crazy amazing games from guys like maybe a Mike James or you know Blake Griffin. You know he's capable of having a big game, but we'll see. Um, you know how you know it goes game when Game Five starts, but obviously you know if you're uh, got some Nets future tickets, you would want to you know have a healthy Kyrie or a healthy Harden out there, but. You mentioned the the spread, you know, going into this game, it kind of threw me off a little bit as well, and I leaned towards, you know, Brooklyn, you know, plus two, plus two and a half, but ended up taking the under, um, you know. But you know, game four, you know, they was a two or three point favorite, and this opened up as you know, Brooklyn as a you know one or one and a half, and ended up closer to a two or two and a half point favorite. Um, so I think it was a little bit over overreaction to the poor offense, you know, from Milwaukee. Um, and you know they had a lot better balance and a lot better performance, you know this game, and they was able to get a comfortable ten digit, uh ten a double digit you know, win. Um, so I think they ride that momentum in uh, to their
0: next game and possibly for the series. I think you make a really good point with Milwaukee. That was the reason why that line was what it was, is because a lot of the negative that's been going on with Milwaukee has been the fact that you know their offense hasn't gotten going. Well, they kind of got it going, you know, in game four and they haven't played their best game yet. I don't think they've played even close to their best game. And if they're going to play their best game, more than likely, it's either going to come in game five or game six. And that's why I think you need to have Harden out there because, you know, when you look at the Nets right now without Kyrie or even with Harden on the floor, I could just see them getting into a situation where. Look, your season's in jeopardy. You know, your your backs are up against the wall. And I could see them more than likely, you know, with James or, you know, even a Blake Griffin and guys like that out there saying, you know, we got to get KD the ball, got to get KD the ball. And then you just start pressing. And then KD on top of it's going, now I got to do everything. I got to go out there and I got to score 47 tonight. And hope and pray, you know, that everything goes right. And then once he starts doing too much, and it doesn't matter if you're the best basketball player in the world, I don't care who you are. Once you start thinking that you have to do everything and that you just start doing too much, everything just starts to unravel and fall apart. You start making mistakes, you start turning the ball over, you start committing stupid fouls, you know, you take bad shots, things like that. And and then before you know it, your star player, you know, at times more than likely is going to be the guy that's going to put you really behind the eight ball. And now the whole team's in, in, in disarray. So, again, my, my feeling is that unless Brooklyn real, really feels like they can win game six uh, in Milwaukee and they can win at home, then they're going to have to bring Harden back in the next game. So uh, we'll see how it all shakes out. Uh, why don't we go ahead and talk about one of these games tomorrow here, Smooth. Let's talk about the Clippers and the Jazz right now. The Clippers are at home, uh, minus five. Uh, there are some four and a halfs out there as well. I've got a total of 223. The Jazz now lead this series two to one. Jazz knocking down both games at home. Clippers coming back here, playing a really good basketball game in game three, getting the win there at home. So what uh, game four on the table here now smooth between the Clippers and the Jazz? How are you going to see that game?
1: Yes, levy I'm I'm leaning towards the Clippers uh for game four. I see the line open up at five on um, pregame is uh down to four and a half right now, and, and game three closed at four and a half uh in favor of the Clippers. So Not much of an adjustment, uh, given how well the Clippers played at home in uh, in game three with, you know, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard going for 30 points apiece. And then you have another great game from Reggie Jackson. But, you know, one thing that I I liked a lot that Tyloo made the adjustment. I think he made a little bit of mistake coming into this series. I think he tried to match the Utah Jazz's size because they had Gobert in the middle and he put Zubac. Back into the starting lineup, and we saw, you know, the first two games, you know, Donovan Mitchell just killed Zubac coming off of that pick and roll, a lot like Luka Doncic did, you know, in their first round matchup with the Mavs. But, you know, Donovan Mitchell's a little bit more explosive athlete and a, and a better uh, three point shooter. So, game three, you know, Tyloo went back to, you know, Batum into the starting lineup, and they also made another adjustment to where, you know, they're gonna, they blitzed and, and trapped, you know, Donovan Mitchell early. And didn't give him as many, you know, one on one ISO looks as they did in the first two games. And you know, Mitchell, he's a great player. I think he's proven that he's, you know, not just an all star anymore, but he's a superstar. Um, but he didn't have uh, he didn't have the type of impact on the game, you know, in game three that he did in the first two games. Even though he still scored thirty. Um, and Quinn Snyder, it came out and said today that you know if the if the Clippers are going to you know have that same type of defensive adjustment uh, against Donovan Mitchell, you know, for game four, then they'll be ready, you know, to attack it uh, better, you know, this game. But I think it's kind of hard for me to see how they'll attack it better than, you know, what they was able to do in game three, other than, you know, trying to go quicker out of the trap. I think that could lead to, you know, some more turnovers, but I just don't think the Jazz have another player, you know, at the same level as a Donovan Mitchell that, you know, that can beat them like a Mitchell can, you know, and, and the Clippers can counter that with a Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, you know, like we've seen them play in game three. And, you know, Reggie Jackson, you know, just put his second game, second great game in a row, um, you know, shooting the ball well, making smart decisions. Then they got other contributions from, you know, Batum and, and Marcus Morris, um, you know, once they went back to the small ball lineup and they could just spread out the jazz and kind of neutralize Gobert, on the defensive end as well. So, you know, and those five guys in the lineup, you know, those are the Clippers' top five, you know, shooters from the three. I think all of them shoot, you know, 40% or better from three. And then you got two elite wing players that can, you know, beat you in all levels of the floor, whether it's attacking the basket from the mid-range or from three. Um, So I think Utah um, is in a little bit of, of trouble on both ends on the floor. And I would lean towards the Clippers, you know, tying this series up, you know, going back to Utah.
0: Yeah, I think they probably cover here. Here's what I've noticed right now with Utah and then what I've noticed with the Clippers. Let's go back to the Clippers' last series. Now, that went seven full games. And going into game one, you know, one of the stories, at least that everybody was talking about, was, you know, that they might be a little bit gassed. And you're going into, you know, an arena in, in Utah that's, you know, you're talking elevation, you're going up against Utah, who we know that that crowd's tough. That, that Maybe it was just like one of those things where, yeah, they were going to lose that game. But then they slowly made some adjustments. But this is what I feel going into this now is that the Clippers are making the right adjustments right now. Putting that Dallas series behind them and all the adjustments and things like that. But now they're playing like it just seems like they're playing good basketball together. And like you mentioned, guys like Reggie Jackson and Morris and, and taking Zubac out and putting Batum in. And those guys are they're not trying to do too much. They're going, you know, here, here's what I can do and I could do this, and I could do this consistently, and I could make, not make mistakes to set the other. But it seems like right now Utah's scrambling. And you were talking about, you know, there, there's no other scorer out there. I don't think they need another scorer right now. They need Mike Conley out there to start running the offense because this offense isn't running very efficiently at all. With Clarkson out there and Mitchell out there and Bogdanovich, it's like, well, now you got three guys that all they want to do is just shoot. And when the ball touches their hands, it's like they have a disease that they just have to shoot the ball, no matter where they're at on the court, uh, no matter what's going on with the particular game. And, look, they could shoot themselves, you know, right out of a game or they can go on a run and and end up on you, you know, putting a lot of points up on you real quick. But I feel like they need to have Conley out there to kind of just calm things down. And, And he could score all by himself, but they need some type of leadership right now. They seem really scattered. They seem like they're going in the complete wrong direction. Like they're they starting to lose their identity of, of who they are and what they've been. So I don't know how you feel about Conley not being there. But I feel like he's the biggest problem right now for Utah. And if they can get him back, then this series gets interesting again. But he's not going to play in the next game. So I don't know what the Jazz are going to do going here, you know, in this particular game on the road against a team who, you know, let's face it with the Clippers. They got it going right now. And if PG's rolling and Kawhi's rolling, good luck. So I don't know how you feel about Conley, but I feel like he's the biggest problem right now for the Jazz. With Conley being
1: out there, definitely missing him, because a lot like, you know, what Chris Paul does for the Phoenix Suns, Conley does that for Utah, in a sense. And he, uh you know, makes the game not only easier for Mitchell, but a lot of those other role players he makes the game easy for as well. You know, reading up a little bit on Conley's situation, you know, right now is listed as, you know, a game time decision, a uh, questionable and they've even gone as far as I've I've seen that, um, you know, if he does play, you know, he could be on a minute's restriction. So that just kind of tells me that, you know, he's not going to be 100%, you know, throughout this series and trying to put him on a minute's restriction. I don't think you could beat a team like the Clippers on the road with playing a guy like Conley on a minute's restriction. Just hearing that, it just, to me, it just kind of says that, you know, if he does play, he's going to be rushed back maybe not have the same type of impact as you might expect them to have, you know, with them being out there. So I I think the Jazz are are in a little bit of trouble, you know, um, just leaning on uh, Mitchell uh, a little bit more than than what they would like to. We've seen them, you know, have Jordan Clarkson out there, but he obviously can't really, you know, get other guys involved as much as as a Conley can. And, you know, he could be neutralized a little bit, you know, seeing him going five for 16, uh, for 19 points, um, the last game. So unfortunate situation for him and the Jazz. But I just don't think you can beat a team like the Clippers as well as they've played. You know, last game, especially in their building. You know, with all the motivation on their side. You know, to to tie this back up, um, trying to trying to play calmly on the minutes restriction. I just don't see how that'll work out for them.
0: Yeah, I think they're going to have to bring him back in the next game in order for them to have a shot. Because if he's out for this series, then they're not probably going to win. My gut feeling would be the next two games. I don't think Clarkson is is the answer. I think more than likely that they got to keep him, you know, coming off of the bench, and they got to figure out somebody to to go ahead and really try to run that offense. So I know Donovan, you know, he can do that, but you know, it's one of the things you always talk about. Smooth is that you know you need to have somebody setting him up instead of you know him trying to set himself up. Um, that that things just run a whole hell of a lot smoother, opens up a lot of the offense. So uh, I don't necessarily know how that series is going to shake out, but I do like the Clippers with you uh, tomorrow. So I'll go ahead. We'll give that one out. Smooth and I, we're going to go ahead and play the Clippers. Uh, That'll be our free pick for today. uh, Minus the five, or if you guys can find four and a halfs out there, uh, make sure you guys go ahead and play that, but that'll wrap up the pod. Good stuff there. Smooth. Good talk. Uh, Talked about Brooklyn and, and the bucks. And we talked about Phoenix and Denver. Hey, Uh, With that said, you guys know where to find me on Twitter at SlippyJ underscore pregame and where to find Smooth on Twitter as well at Smooth underscore 702. And you can find us both on the best sports betting information site on the web, pregame.com. With that said, I'd like to wish you guys all the best of luck on your Monday. Enjoy the games.